Hey guys, what's up? It's LA Aguayo, and I'm very excited for you guys to join me on this new series that I'm going to be doing over the next probably few weeks. And it is going to be me sharing a book that I wrote during COVID. Whenever COVID first happened, um, you know, like all of us, it was really weird and scary. And everyone was like locked into their house. And I really didn't know what to do with my time. And instead of just panicking and not really doing anything, I decided that I should write a book and kind of tell my story a little bit more in depth. And the book really isn't about my life in its entirety. It's more so just a story, kind of a fragment of my life that I wanted to share. So I wrote the book and I actually had it edited by a very well-known person in our community. Her name is Lori Kelly. I've built a relationship with her for the past few years and um, it's been really awesome working with her. And I learned so much from sharing this book that I wrote with her and getting her help with the editing. So, you know, I decided now, since it's been, you know, almost a year, I guess, to make a podcast series out of this book and just read it myself instead of actually going through like the publishing route. My goal with this is to just provide value to the hemophilia community. And, you know, podcasts are bigger than ever. I feel like more people would be more willing to listen to a podcast than to sit down and read a book. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna start off with this first episode and I'm going to read probably the first three chapters and then I will keep on posting until the book is completely read. It's not a very long book. Like I said, it's not my whole life story, but it's just kind of a portion that I thought would be fun to share with everyone. So thanks for joining me. I hope you really enjoy it. And here we go. All right, guys. So this book is called Adversity Equals Opportunity. Introduction. This book took 32 years of living with chronic pain and a chronic condition to write. It was a roller coaster ride of highs and lows that could have ended in a horrific scene, yet somehow I managed to hold on for dear life. I'm stuck on this roller coaster ride forever, but I want to show you how I went from clenching the safety bar to riding with my hands raised to the sky. This is a journey about living with severe hemophilia B, a disorder that mentally and physically seemed to dominate every aspect of my life. It's extremely hard to understand the full spectrum of how this disorder can take over. But I hope to give you a glimpse into my world. It gets very lonely, especially when you're one in 25,000 people in the U.S. diagnosed with hemophilia B. If you have a chronic disorder or find yourself in adversity of any kind, I hope you feel less alone after reading this book. This book will share with you very personal times in my life that I thought I would never overcome. Times of adversity when I felt hopeless and defeated times when I thought I had enough and would just end it all. Is it possible that hitting rock bottom is the best thing that could ever happen? I believe that's where my story changed. I believe there is a purpose and fulfillment through the pain. Everyone has a different story and different passions. My passion was to become an elite athlete. This is ironic considering the first thing doctors told me was to never let, to let me participate in physical activities. It could end in permanent damage or life-threatening injuries, but I'm going to share with you 
practical methods I use to rewrite that story and be the person I be and to be the person I always dreamed of. No matter what your passion is, I believe this book will reignite the fire you once had to pursue your dreams. It will convince you to never give up on who you ultimately want to become. The choice is in your hands. I hope you enjoy my story. I would love to connect with you and hear your personal journey. Connect with me on Instagram at chronic underscore physique or on Facebook by searching LA Aguayo. And if you would like to see pictures that support this book and the content that I am reading to you, you can search Instagram at adversity.equals.opportunity. Thank you and good luck on your journey. Chapter one, the Royal Disease. I was born March 16th, 1988, to a Mexican father and American mother. I was the second child. Before they had me, they adopted my brother Matthew from Mexico when he was one month old. I'm happy that fate brought him to our family. He was a good and protective brother. We lived in a three bedroom, fenced in house. It wasn't the best neighborhood, but it also wasn't the worst. St. Louis is known for its high crime rate. When I was 12 months old, I started to get bruises all over my body for no apparent reason. My parents took me to the hospital to be evaluated and after some blood tests. The physician notified my parents that I had severe hemophilia B, also known as the royal disease. It was called this because the hemophilia gene was passed from Queen Victoria, who became Queen of England in 1837, to the ruling families of Russia, Spain, and Germany. Queen Victoria's gene for hemophilia was caused by a spontaneous mutation. Hemophilia is a medical condition in which the blood's ability to clot is severely reduced, causing the patient to bleed longer than normal from even a slight injury. The condition is usually caused by an, in an inherited lack of a protein in the blood called factor. Uncontrolled and untreated internal bleeding can eventually cause long-term joint damage and chronic pain. I can only imagine what my parents thought my father barely spoke English, and I'm certain my mother had no idea what hemophilia entailed. Let's keep in mind during this time, you couldn't just Google hemophilia. That technology was not yet available. My parents learned as much as they could from the physician, but you can only learn so much about a chronic disorder during a couple of visits. They were told that I had a bleeding disorder and that I was bleeding internally. I needed medication whenever there was visible bleeding or swelling into a joint or muscle. It was understood that I was fragile and I needed to be protected from any possibility of injury. When I learned to walk, I had to wear elbow and knee pads to protect me from the, from the small falls that happened to most toddlers. If they noticed swelling or if I was limping, I would have to go to the emergency room as soon as possible and get an intravenous injection of, of medicine that would stop the internal bleeding. After each injection, my mother would ice the area that got hurt as I rested until I fully recovered. Doctors suggested that most physical activity or sports in the future would be out of the question for my life. This was the start of a poor mindset that I later developed. I was fragile, different, incapable, and victimized. My brother, Matt, was as healthy as a horse and can be whatever he wanted. I, on the other hand, was stuck wearing that bulky protective gear and being yelled at whenever I was running or doing something that could possibly cause me to fall and get hurt. Anytime my brother tried to wrestle me, he would get in trouble. I feel sorry for him looking back. 
I feel badly thinking that maybe he thought my parents considered me to be more important than him. I definitely took advantage of that as years went on. I would hit him, and if he ever touched me, I would scream bloody murder and tell my parents. He must have been confused about why I was getting treated so special. Eventually, my my brother became my number one protector, making sure no one laid a hand on me. In high school, I had a filthy mouth and a temper that I couldn't back up. But thanks to having Matt as my brother, I got out of a few sticky situations when I could have been beat up by bigger kids. He had crazy muscle maturity for a high schooler. So all I had to say was, do you know who my brother is? Then they would politely back off. The first major bleed I had as a child was on a trip to Puerto Rico. I was five years old. This was supposed to be our first family vacation together, but ended up being a trip to a foreign hospital. I don't recall exactly what happened, but I bit my tongue and the bleeding went and stopped. I developed a huge purple hematoma on my tongue and couldn't even close my mouth. The hematoma would break open and I would have a nonstop mouth full of blood. I know we still enjoyed some moments on the trip, but for me, I mostly remember that tongue bleed. As a child, I was, I was extremely scared and clueless about why this was happening to me. I used to throw the biggest fit at the hospital, screaming at the top of my lungs when I had to go in for an injection. The nursing staff would have to strap my arms and legs down to inject me, and that barely did the trick. I was traumatized by the process, and it never really got easier from there. As the years went on, I felt like most of my days were spent in a hospital. Every time I had a bleed, we'd go to the St. Louis Children's Hospital and spend the entire day there. The hospital never had medication in stock, so we spent the first six hours waiting for it to be transferred. The hospital pharmacist had to contact multiple specialty pharmacies to locate any in their inventory before it could be shipped to the hospital. Once it arrived, I could then get the injection and spend some time resting before we were sent home. To this day, I really can't comprehend the toll it must have taken on my parents. Then disaster was about to strike again. When I was around 11 years old, I remember the doctors telling my mom that I had contracted hepatitis C through contaminated medication. They said we didn't have anything to worry about and and they would monitor it as I got older. My mother didn't lose her composure and just trusted that she, you know, just trusted what she was told. We went on with life as usual. This diagnosis would cause a surprise later in my life, though. My parents eventually divorced when I was 12 years old. I don't really remember why this happened. I just remember the car ride with my brother when my mom said, She had to tell us something. She said, your dad and I are separating. You'll be spending most of your time with me and your dad every other weekend. It's strange, but at the time, I I remember my brother and I reacting very indifferently to this news. We started talking about having two Christmases and two birthdays. I wouldn't realize until I was an adult that my father never really gave us what we needed as kids after the divorce. We lost our father figure. My father quickly remarried and had three boys and started a new family. My brother and I became an obligation and not a priority. This would take a huge toll on my brother and me as we got older, and we both handled it in completely different ways. Chapter two, athlete and a hemophiliac's body. My mother was left alone to deal with me and my hemophilia. Luckily, by the time I was 15, she and I had been trained to self-infuse at home. That was a game changer compared to spending hours in the hospital. We now had a specialty pharmacy that would take care of us and send a month's worth of medication to our home 
with all the ancillary supplies such as needles, syringes, alcohol pads, bandages, and tourniquets. My mother was busy working full time. She provided a comfortable home for us and made sure we had what we needed, but she was too busy to spend her time focused on me 24 seven. As far, as far as my condition, it was left up to me to tell her if something was wrong. This came in handy for me. I realized when I was a teenager that I hated school and I could use my disorder to my advantage. It seemed like every week I had to miss school because of a bleed. And if I didn't have a real bleed, I sure as heck would pretend to have one. I was so confused about what my disorder was that I would even try to hurt myself on purpose just to miss a few days of school each week. Sometimes the bleeds were serious and my mom would have to be called from work and come straight home to take care of me. Other times I would manage on my own. Her boss used to hate it when I would call her to come home. Luckily, my grandpa also worked for the same company and had seniority. He would make sure everyone knew I was a priority. If anyone had a problem, they could, they could talk to him. Believe me, you don't wanna to talk to him when he's angry. During these times at home, I'd play video games all day long and watch SportsCenter on rerun for hours straight. I learned that I had this crazy passion for sports. Didn't matter what sport it was. I was just fascinated with watching the best in the world perform. Although I knew I wasn't allowed to participate in sports, I dreamed of being a professional athlete. I remember practicing shooting the winning shot with three seconds left on the clock, catching the winning touchdown to win the Super Bowl, and even sinking the winning putt to win the Masters or US Open. I just love sports. And in my head, I had this weird feeling that I was going to get my chance one way or another. I didn't care about a single thing in the world but sports. I felt like an athlete trapped in a hemophiliac's body. It just wasn't right. My first attempt to play sports was when I heard about an indoor soccer league that played using a Nerf ball. I knew I had one chance to make my plea. I decided to make a heartfelt gesture. I got out a pen and paper and wrote my mom a letter. I don't remember exactly what the letter said, but it was a dramatic cry to find normalcy in my life. I wanted to live a normal life and pursue the passion of mine. My mom gave in to my request and agreed to let me test the waters. I participated in the Nerf Soccer League at age 10 and played the entire season as the starting goalie. I remember how proud I felt when the audience would clap after each clutch save. After the season, I just wanted to know what was next. I had a few extra bleeds from injuries, but I was happy and for the first time in my life, I felt alive. Then I progressed to baseball and basketball. I was doing great and the injuries were no worse than what any child would incur on the field or court. I was living my best life. I would come home and watch sports on TV and practice my craft like nobody's business. It's never, it's never felt like work for me. I just loved the game. I was one of those kids you didn't have to tell to go practice. If anything, you would have to tell me to stop. I would say that I played sports slightly above average throughout my childhood, but never the best. I, all, I always craved to be better, but as a child, I didn't really know how to develop by myself. I had a ton of heart, but I lacked direction and the ability to set goals. Nobody really had expectations for me besides just surviving. This is a time I wish I would have had a father figure around to see how much I love sports and to invest in me. One day, my grandpa asked my brother and me if we would like to play golf with him. I was 13 years old and my brother was 14 years old at the time. We both said yes. He started by taking us to the park to hit balls. We eventually progressed to playing a mini nine-hole course. We loved competing against each other, and at the end of every round, we would enjoy a snow cone and a trip to McDonald's. 
One Christmas when I was 14, my mom and grandpa surprised my brother and me with a four-wheeler and protective gear. This was, a, this was another one of my grandpa's and uncle's favorite hobbies. We started slowly and eventually got good enough to join them on trails at St. Joe State Park. This became one of our favorite memories. As we got older, my grandpa thought it was time for Matt and me to make a decision. He pulled us aside and said, one of you needs to choose racing four-wheelers and one of you needs to choose playing golf. He wanted us to pick our craft and then he would invest in us. My grandpa already knew the answer, but I respect the fact that he asked us anyways. My brother and I looked at each other and it was simple. I would play golf and he would race. It only made sense. I was the better athlete and he was the daredevil who didn't care if he got hurt. From that day forward, things got serious. I didn't really care what sport I was playing. All I knew was my grandpa was going to invest in me to play golf. I was 100% okay with that as long as, as long as I was getting my opportunity to finally develop as an athlete. I started golf lessons and hitting hundreds of balls a week. I was able to hit as many balls as I wanted until I got blisters and couldn't do it anymore. Trust me, I wasn't stopping until I couldn't grip that club anymore. My grandpa saw and respected my passion and was always willing to give me more of himself as long as I was, give, as long as I was giving him everything I had. My brother was taking frequent trips with my uncle to get better at his craft and to, and to prepare for the racing life. Throughout my junior golf career, I would travel the nation and play in the toughest tournaments with my grandpa in the crowd. We went summer after summer doing the same thing. I can't really thank him enough for going all in with me, with his time and financially. He was preparing me for high school golf with the end goal of getting a scholarship to play collegiate golf and get a better education. And who knows, maybe go pro. My mom and dad never graduated high school. So this was going to be a family milestone. Chapter three, the end of the road. As I was entering high school, the golf coach was already anticipating my arrival. Knowing that I had a successful junior career, he was one of the first people to greet me when I started school. As he showed me around, we walked and we talked about expectations. He told me I had a lot of, he had a lot of promise for me. I thought, I thought it was pretty cool. I didn't have many personal relationships with kids at school, but I knew I was good at sports. And most importantly, I was going to be the number one player on the team. Why didn't I have any relationships with the other kids? The answer is because I really showed up for school and we moved a lot as a family. But for the first time in my life, I realized that if I wanted to play on a team, I had to not only show up for class, but also make good grades. I always lived entitled until that point, and I assumed my education really didn't matter, as long as I was good at golf. I was so naive about how the world really worked, and I didn't really have anyone giving me direction. Even if I was given advice, I wouldn't listen. Now I started the school year like any other year using the handicap card as a free pass. I started missing one to two days each week in notifying the teacher that I was special. When I missed school, it was because I had a rare medical condition. I never did the homework or any of the special projects. I quickly found myself in a special education class where I was granted even more leeway for being a slow learner. I didn't mind. I mean, there had to be some perks to living in pain every day, right? But being put in special classes eventually hurt my feelings a lot because I was no longer in classes with my friends. 
I was in classes with people who had actual learning disabilities. The only, the only learning disability I had was laziness. I lacked desire to learn any subject that didn't pertain to sports. In every class, I would open up the study book and put a golf magazine inside of it and just read. I thought I could just continue doing this, but I was proven wrong. I was notified that I had to start trying harder to make better grades and not miss any more days or I would not be eligible to play on the team. While I eventually increased my effort a little in class, my teachers felt sorry for me and let me pass. I even saw my coach have special conversations with them, probably to let them know I needed to pass in order to keep playing on the team. I didn't care about anything but my goal to be a professional golfer. And up to this point, I was getting my way. I didn't see the need to study anything else. I didn't even want to consider a plan B. I was going to be a professional. On it and off the course, I was practicing harder than ever. I was overdoing it, though. I would have internal bleeds all over my body, and I chose not to care, and I pretended they didn't even exist sometimes. I became ashamed of my disorder, and I wasn't going to pay attention to it until I absolutely felt necessary. I would wait for the swelling to get so severe that I could no longer walk or no longer put my shoes on. Sometimes I couldn't bend over to even to put my shoe on or straighten my arms out. That was when I had to secretly address it. At this time in my life, my mom made it my responsibility to, to take care of myself. I was okay with that because I wanted to pretend like I was normal. The last thing I could ever let happen was to let someone think I was different. What I didn't realize was that every time I let the swelling get that bad, I was permanently damaging my joints. I was clueless though. I never took my disorder seriously. I was used to the pain, the swelling, and the recovery process. It was the only life I knew. I made it to my senior year of high school, and I was the number one player on my team. College was my next goal. I was preparing for the Gateway PGA Championship, and I was told I would have college coaches watching me play. This was the moment I worked for my entire life. The hundreds of hours on the course and range, the weekly injections, the pain I endured, and all of the financial help from my grandpa was finally going to pay off. I was so proud of myself and excited for the next chapter of my life. I ended up not playing my best in the championship, but coaches still liked what they saw in my game and my overall port portfolio of experience on the course. I talked to my mom about the options and we started taking campus tours. The only concern we had was my grades. I had barely passed my classes. I was still optimistic that like everything in my life, I could use my chronic condition pass card to get me through. After waiting for weeks, all the admission letters came back denying entrance into any school because of my low grades and poor attendance record. In my mind, my lifelong goal was over. I was devastated and I didn't know how to handle this news. I was deeply confused and I had to start thinking of a plan B. I never had a plan B before. I didn't think it was possible to need one. From here, I went into a downward spiral of self-pity, depression, and self-destruction. I started to rebel against everything and everyone. I had hatred in my heart, and I felt like life screwed me over. Why did this happen to me? Why does my life seem to be so different? During this time, I began fighting with my mom and stepdad a lot. Eventually, they kicked me out of the house because of my abusive behavior and verbally damaging words. I felt like no one could possibly understand me and what I was going through. Nobody ever wanted to try and understand me at this point. Everyone gave up on me. Looking back at this now, I see a broken young adult 
who had little structure or direction in life. I was confused about why I was feeling the way I did. I needed someone to relate to, someone who could tell me I wasn't alone. Up till now, I never met a single soul that suffered the way I did. It was very lonely. I'm not quite, I'm not quite sure I even wanted to survive. Then things start to get truly interesting. How I survived is a mystery to me, but I did. All right, guys, thank you very much for listening. I really appreciate your time. I really hope you are enjoying it so far. And I'm very excited to share the next few episodes in about a week.